So go ahead and open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5, Daniel chapter 5, and uh, I have a little story to tell you first. And uh, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever seen a tragedy coming and you couldn't do anything to stop it? Uh, maybe it's in somebody's lives. Maybe it was all your own. Maybe you were a teenage boy and you had a car that went way too fast. Uh, you know, it was hopped up. It was dangerous. It was like three cars put together to make one. And you're going far excess of the legal speed limits. You know, I don't know what that story is for your life. But if you've seen one of those, I want you to bring that back to your memory. Uh, it may have been somebody that you loved and cared for uh, when they were younger and you saw the path that they were going on. I want to tell you a story about a missionary. And this is a missionary who is out in the field. And it wasn't just the field like around here. It was in a foreign country. And he and his wife uh, were returning from an underground church service. Not that somebody might know a little bit about those. And uh, a car passed by him at a very high speed. And uh, right after it passed them, it started swerving. And uh, it, how many people here have ever had the experience of driving a car too fast, overcorrected or over? turned the wheel and then overcorrected and then started that whole little back and forth thing. Raise your hand. Let's just let's see who's away. Okay. We got a lot of people here can testify about that. And uh, he saw it losing control and the car bounced across the center median, rupturing the gas tank and spewing a trail of gas down the highway. Sparks flew from the underneath of the cars. It scraped the concrete curb. It hit a car in front and flew many feet up in the air and came down with a big thud. Instantly, the sparks ignited and the flames followed the car to its final halt, and we watched helplessly while the flames caught up with the car, ignited the gas tank, and engulfed the car in flames. A wall of fire between us and the automobile prevented us from rendering any aid. So here's a missionary in this foreign foreign field. He's there to save people, and he sees this whole accident play out in front of him. And at the end of that accident, there's this wall of flame. He can't get to the people who are inside that need help. And there are many situations like this in the world. Sometimes we don't have the strength to help. Uh, sometimes we can't get through that wall of fire to help someone. And oftentimes in things like this, when we see this, we've seen the warning signs. And then sometimes we actually get to see the actual tragedy. Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. And sometimes even a lost person can see the fact that the path they're going down is the wrong one. But the obvious choice can be very difficult for them to make in the sense that as a young person, a lot of times, you know, it's like I tell everybody, as a young person, it wasn't that I thought I was invincible. I just had no concept of like how bad things could go. You know, what's the worst that could happen? Well, in my experience, nothing really, really bad happens. So therefore, that must be all there is to it. Let's read Daniel chapter five, and we're going to start in verse five. And it says, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw a part of the hand that wrote. So I want to thank you, you know, you could imagine this being in a church service or somewhere else. And instead of having all the writing up over here on the white, just imagine if you saw a part of a hand show up and start writing. I don't know about you, but this is not a normal experience for me. 
Now, I am sure there's some people here that probably have maybe used some substance that make things appear that aren't necessarily there. But we're talking about being of your normal mind, and you're seeing a hand right on the wall. And let's continue uh, reading. Then it says, then the king's countenance. Excuse me, my pages are stuck together. There we go was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. His knees were knocking. I don't know about you, but this this is most people, what would happen if God were to do something in their life. I wanted you to turn down to verse 25. There's this whole section in between that talks about what's going on in Daniel. And it's a good thing for you to read later on. But for the importance of this, we need to get to verse 25, and it says, And this is the writing that was written, many, many, tekel upharsin. This is the interpretation of thing, many. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, the kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of Chaldeans, slain. So for this person, he gets the message from God that night. He's dead. Sometimes some things happen to people and it's like that and they're gone. Uh, I can't remember if I told you the story before, but when I went, uh, right before I went off to Navy boot camp in 1985, um, it was in the fall of 84 and there's a group of us in Lewis County, Washington that were all going to be going up to Seattle to the, uh, up to the hotel by the MEP station and we were going to be hanging out there for night and then we were going to be flying on January 1st to Chicago, Illinois. So we could go to Great Lakes, or as people called it in boot camp, Great Mistakes, Illinois. And one of the young people that was going with me, um, he was working night, sh- or he's working the sw- what, I, what I called the military swing shift. So he was getting off about midnight, and he was driving home out on Highway Six out towards Adna. Came around a w- big, huge corner, and there was a guy with a hopped up truck who was drunk. That came over into his line and drove that truck up over the top of his car and back off the other side. Killed him instantly. Took the whole top of the car off. He didn't go to boot camp. That was a shock to us. Here we all are, these 17, 18-year-old kids, and somebody wasn't coming with us now. We, we had no idea something like this would happen. We were all expecting this whole little group of us, half dozen of us, were all beginning hopping on the same flight, flying to Chicago, not for him. Uh, I don't know, you know, you growing up in your lives, maybe you had some kind of instance where somebody you know close to you passed away and it was unexpected. That is something that happens in life. You know, sometimes it's not, we don't see the big trail and the big shipwreck. You know, some people you can see, you can see in their life, you see the decisions, you have having some experience in your life, go, I know where this is ending up. I can tell you right now, I don't know how many years it's going to take or how many months it's going to take, but I know where this path lays out. And one of those things in that, the God of the Bible is just as interested in you and your life as he was in the kingdom of Persia all the way back in uh, Daniel chapter 5. 
But the thing is, is if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, when it comes to a time in your life like this, God's going to give you some kind of a message. And you may live many years after that message. There's no guarantee what that time is. But your destiny is written. See, God knows before you were born what choices you were going to make. He's not going to force you. You're going to choose them. And he knows that in your heart, he's written a message there no matter who you are. And that message lets you know that if you don't get things taken care of with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then your outcome is going to be just as bad as it was for Belshazzar in this particular case. You may not have some, you know, huge experience where your car explodes. You just may go to sleep and not wake up one day. But the question is, what's going to happen to you if God judges you? What if God has tried over and over and over again in your life to try to reach you, to tell you, hey, I love you. I see where this path is going to take you and all the pain and all the hurt and all the suffering and all the things that go with that. And I don't want you to go through that. I don't want you to do that. But see, the thing is, we have free will. We have the right to stand up before God, stick our nose up in the air and say, I will not listen. You know what? God also has something that he can do. He can repeat it back to you. At some point in time, he may try X number of times. We don't know how many times that is. We don't know if that's when you're 20 years old or 90 years old. But there can become a time in your life where God says, I'm done with you. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. And just as much as Belshazzar's death happened that night, your time's written down in God's book of life. And you're, and that's it. You're not getting any more chances. See, this isn't like the stairway to heaven where any time that you want along your path, you can always turn back and go back and make a different choice. We have no guarantees of that. God is good. God is going to give you some choices. Way more than we honestly deserve. But we don't know at that point where God says, I'm done with you. And there's no sadder position in life that exists is when a holy, righteous God who's full of love and mercy goes, my love and my mercy for you is done. There's nothing worse than that. Let's turn over to John chapter 3, verse 16. It's a great verse. Most people know it. I've already confessed to you that back in the 90s, I was watching a basketball game, saw this in the, on the court, on the side of the court uh, of the game, and my wife had to tell me what the verse is because I had no clue. And in John 3.16, it gives us a great, great truth. For God so loved the world. There is not one human being that God doesn't love. There's not one human being who's managed to accomplish some evil feat that's so terrible that God can't forgive them. Because the verse continues. In John 3, 16, it says, For he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I've heard many people preach on this verse. I've had a lot of people tell me this verse. But you know what? A lot of people never read past that verse. Let's look at verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, that, but, by, uh, but that the world through him might be saved. I've heard some people preach that far. 
But I have heard very few people get to verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There is condemnation. See, we like to live in a world that doesn't have condemnation. We like to live in a world where that's okay, you're a good person. And all those kinds of things. But the Bible says you get your choice. You can have love and mercy or you can have condemnation, but it's all determined on your choice of what you do with Jesus Christ. It's completely based on your choice. It doesn't, yeah, but my mom and dad were, doesn't matter. Yeah, but my boss was, doesn't matter. Well, you know, my family and our circumstance doesn't matter. It all matters on you and your personal choice of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. Turn over to 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 10. And it says, There are three that bear witness in the earth, or sorry, that's verse 8, verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's very clear here. It's a choice you make. You either have Jesus Christ or you don't. It's not, well, you know, I had him at one point in time, but I lost him because I decided to go my own way. That's not what the verse says. Is It's saying in the past, was there a point in time when you made the choice to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, yes or no? It's that pointed. That is the determining factor of what's going to happen to you if God should call you home on your way from this church to your house or to wherever you're going to eat today. What did you do with Jesus Christ? And a lot of us, when we look at these verses, we forget about, especially with a lot of people, when we talk about Christianity in the world today where it is in America, we forget some things about him. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 25. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 25 says, Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people. He's not even talking about the other people. He's talking about his people. And he hath stretched forth his hand against them and hath smitten them and the hills did tremble and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. That's the God of the Bible. You know, there's a whole little thing that was written a long time ago. It's about sinners in the hands of an angry God. We've forgotten the fact that God is a righteous God, and he has every right to be angry with us. He has every right. He made you. He set you up in the circumstances that he wanted you to live in. And I understand not everybody's circumstances are great. But he made you with a purpose and he gave you skills and talents that he wanted to use to his glory 
not yours. In Ephesians chapter 2.12, it talks about that at the time, us as Gentiles were without Christ and without hope. Because our only ho- the only hope of the Gentiles prior to that was you had to follow your conscience. Good luck. Good luck with that. Why? How many times has our conscience told us, don't do that? I mean, what do we do? We just go do it anyways. In Stockholm, Sweden, a woman was injured as she rushed to catch a streetcar. She stumbled in front of a moving car and was caught beneath it. The police sent for a crane to lift the car off her body, and while waiting for the crane, a crowd of people gathered out of curiosity. One man pushed through the crowd, crawled underneath the car, and sent her, Take my hand. And she took his hand, and she felt the warmth and the courage, and this calmed her down enough so she did not go into shock. After the crane arrived and the woman's release, she said, I never thought an outstretched hand could mean so much. Turn over to Psalms chapter 138. Psalms chapter 138, and we're going to look in verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth mine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. There's going to come some times in your life that you're going to need the outstretched hand of the Lord to save you from some things you got yourself into. There are also some things that are just going to come anyways. Time and chance happeneth to all men. But there's some stuff that it's going to be directly because of the choices you made. And you're going to be there praying one of those, oh, God, prayers. I don't know about you, but there's some times I've did some really stupid things in my life. Uh, one time I was coming out with a friend uh, up towards uh, the Lewis County uh, border, southern border. And uh, I'd left uh, a girlfriend's place. Well, not a girlfriend. She was a friend who was a girl. We were there at her place, and it was my mom called. It was like 12.30 in the morning, saying she got a call from one of my friends saying, I needed to be in Lewiston, or uh, sorry, Idaho Falls, Idaho, by 12 o'clock that day. So I had a Camaro that was a high-output version that somebody had done a little bit of work to, and so I had to get a hold of my other Navy buddy, and we had to go. And I was driving down that road. It was rainy, windy, typical, you know, wonderful weather in Washington, and I hit this one corner, and in the Camaro I'll give you that I had, you had two options. You could turn the wheel or you could give it to gas to make more of a corner. Do not do both. I was in a rush, not thinking about it, and decided to do both. It's late at night. I'm spinning this car around a country road on a corner, and I don't know if anybody's coming, and there doesn't matter what I could do, because I was doing probably, you know, 60 or so on a 35 or something like that. And, you know, I'll let you know at that particular time, I was not praying a King James prayer. You know, I was saying, Oh, Father in heaven, I have put myself in a not good position, and I would appreciate if thou wouldst realign my vehicle to the orientation of the road. That is not what went through my mind. It was, Oh, Lord, please. That's about all I got out. Now, thankfully, you know, I don't know if it's because I, you know, was so vocal in my desire for the Lord to help me or he was just being merciful to an idiot. Whichever the case may be, the car stopped. 
I'm completely vertical or uh, not vertical, perpendicular to the road. So the road goes this way. I'm sitting this way, blocking the entire road. The car's still running. And I'm sitting there like that. Just, you know, my hands are, I got a death grip on that steering wheel. And my friend looks over at me and he goes, so we've got a long ways to go. Uh, is this the only excitement we're going to have? Because, you know, buddies want to help you out and that kind of thing. And it's great to look back at now. But the thing is, when when you're in it, you need that outstretched hand of the Lord. And no matter how much my buddy wanted to help me, you know, this isn't like the Flintstones where you can put your feet out the bottom of the, at least not this car. Now, I may have had a car that you could have actually put your foot out of the floorboard, but not this one. You can't put your feet out and do one of the, you know, Flintstones things, put both feet out and try to break the car to help your buddy out. Uh, this was not a driver's car like I had for driver's test where the steering wheel was over here and the, the, the student stood there. And on the, the instructor side, he had one thing. He had a brake pedal. So no matter what, he could override you and slam that brake pedal shut. Uh, my friend did not have one of those. And by the way, he likes bringing that up every now and then too. So did any more stupid things like, and then, you know, tells the story kind of a thing. But what about you? Do you remember the times that God's outstretched his hand to you? Do you remember the times when you were in a very difficult situation? Um, there are a lot of enemies in life. A lot of them are things that we do ourselves. You know, there, there's the world, the flesh, and the devil, but the biggest one of all is sin. It's just the choices we make and the sin and that effect on our lives. That's why the, the Bible also tells us, hey, once you get saved, yes, that sin has no more power over you to death. You're going to still die, but you're only going to die physically, not spiritually. But that sin still needs to be dealt with as an individual to the Lord. You need to go to the Lord and say, it's me, Lord, stand in need of prayer. I messed up again. It's my fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's not because of my parents. It's not because of my siblings. It's not because of my kids. It's not because of my job. It's not because of my coworkers. It's just me. Please forgive me and restore that fellowship. Romans chapter 5 verses 8 to 11 talks about how God commended his love towards us while we were just sinners. Have you ever thought about, have you ever thought of possibly about how many times God intervened in your life while you were lost? How many times things happened that you probably had no clue that God stretched out his hand and protected you or saved you or moved something out of the way or moved you in a different direction while you were lost before you even came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior to give you that opportunity to be able to know him as Savior? There's a lot of things we can thank our Savior for. There's a young man and a young woman who became engaged and were looking forward to their wedding day. And as they were getting close, the young man was called away to the service of his nation. From the field, he wrote letters regularly and and he continued to tell her about how much he loved her and how much he cared for her and how much he looked forward to seeing her again. And then one day the letter stopped. Several weeks passed by and a letter from somebody else's handwriting was written to her. 
She opened up the letter. And in there, written in somebody else's hands, were these words. There's been another battle. I've lost both my arms. I asked my friend to write this for me and to tell you that I release you from our engagement, for now I will not be able to work and support you. The letter was never answered. By the next train, this young lady journeyed southward. She left the train, went directly to the hospital. Inquiring of the location of the young man's cot, she quietly approached and suddenly flung herself down by the side of his cot with the passionate words, I will never give you up. These hands of mine will work for you. We will live our life of love together. How many people have that kind of character today? If you're in a relationship and that person doesn't have that kind of character for you and you don't have that kind of character for them, then you're in the wrong relationship. You need to get in the one that God wants you to be with. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to look start in verse 35. And I want you to understand, as great of a picture as it is, and as great a thing as what that young lady was doing for that young man, still does not match the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, it says... Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come. I want you to think for a minute When Jesus was hanging on that cross, one of those thieves never did anything for the Lord. He never committed one righteous act, never one thing for the God. He never witnessed to anybody. He never did anything, but he got the love of God and he got salvation. Many, when they were young, were taken from this world by the violence of man just as recently as Hamas going into Israel. There's some little kids there. There's some babies that did nothing wrong. There's some people there that were doing the right thing. And their lives are over. But God's love isn't based on what we do for him. His love comes before we ever do anything for him. Let's continue. Nor height, nor depth, nor any of the creatures shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, how, no matter how much we may love another, pray for another, th- their choice is still theirs to make of whether they're going to accept Jesus Christ or not. Uh, no matter how much we pray about any situation, that doesn't always mean that's God's will. I mean, let's be honest. Do you think God's will for mankind is that we're going around butchering other innocent little kids because of some some religion or some political statement we want to make? Do you think really God went to all this effort to create this universe and put people in and all this other stuff so that mankind, that was somehow his plan? That's what he wanted? 
we need the hands of eternal love. We need God to hold us because some things happen our love or in our lives that we need his love to help us get through it. Uh, Joe Dunlap, a good friend of mine, his wife just passed away last month due to cancer. Uh, I'd seen her the month before up at Camp Northwest. Uh, she was the camp nurse, talked to her. Everything was going great. It was about a week or so later, week and a half later, we got a thing. It's like, hey, she went to the, wasn't feeling well, went to the doctor. She has cancer. And then it was like a week after that, she was on hospice. I love Joe. Now, I'm not, I probably, uh, maybe I'd tell him if he was here, maybe. Not in front of everybody else, maybe in the, you know, quiet corner kind of thing. But no matter how much I love him, what he really needs is God's comfort and God's love. And that's not, and yes, I'm lacking. Let's just, let's just be real. I'm lacking. If you don't think so, ask my wife. She can fill you in. But nonetheless, I love Joe and I would do whatever I could for him. But that all pales compared to what God can do for him. No matter how much I pray for him, and no matter how much I want him to be comforted, God's the one that's going to bring the comfort that's really going to help him. Because there's going to come times, whether he is in the midst of a ton of people or he's all alone, he's going to feel alone. And the only thing that's going to help him is God. Uh, we have a brother here who's a missionary to China. I can guarantee you there's some times that he's felt in China where he's felt alone amongst this, what, 3 billion people or whatever that number is. I mean, where you can't walk anywhere without meeting somebody. I mean, just because there's people there doesn't mean they don't feel alone. You know, I think it's a good thing that, you know, that Bible says, how can two walk together except they be degreed? You know what? I think it's good when missionaries can have somebody in the field, in the country with them that they can do the job with. Why? So they're not alone. So they got somebody to stand in the gap with them. And when difficult things are going on, they know that there's somebody there on their side. I have another story for you. It's about an auctioneer who was taking bids on some household items. He was tired and just wanted to go home. And there was only one item left, which was an old violin, and it wasn't much to look at, and no sound came from it. It was seemingly worthless instrument. The auctioneer started the bid, and he says, Ah, he'll give me, you know, five cents, ten cents, fifteen cents. Nobody put a hand up. There was an elderly gentleman in his 70s, and he came forward, replaced the strings on the old violin. He oiled the keys and tightened the strings, and he began to play that old violin. The sweetest music you'd ever heard came from that old violin. The people cheered and the master musician played that old violin and the auctioneer said, who'll give me 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 for that old violin? It's that way with our lives. To many people, they see no value in our lives. Our lives are broken. That is until we've been touched by the master's hand. When we've been touched by the master's hands, our lives are no longer the same. We've become a new creature, a new creation, a new musical instrument that's played by the master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever your circumstances are, when the Lord shows up, he can bring a hand that can fix you up and use you not to just make beautiful music that's here and gone, to do things that have eternal results. I want you to think about it. If in your whole, your, if your whole life, the only thing you ever did 
was to have one person get saved. You witnessed to and you led one person to the Lord. If that's all you did in your entire life, God already told you in this book, what's the value of a soul? You could have everything. You could have so much money that Solomon and Bill Gates and fill in the blank with whatever name, you could have so much more money than they could ever dream of. And God says, one soul is worth way more than that. Just one soul. Turn to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64, and we're going to look in verse 8. It says in Isaiah 64, verse 8, But now, Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art our potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. There's some interesting things about pottery. First thing is when you make pottery, a lot of times things just don't always work out. You may be, a, a, you know, really good at doing pottery. I'm not. But if you have that skill, there are times no matter how good your skill is, you got to start over. You got to take something that's not working out right for whatever worse, and you basically get it back down to a clay lump, slap it back down, and you fix it back up. In Japan, Japanese culture, they have two other kinds of pottery that are interesting. One is they take any kind of pottery that is broken, and they will use gold to fill in the gap and, and glue and everything else to put it all back together. And they value those pieces as being more valuable than the original. Another thing in Japan they have is reiku firing, where what they will do is they do all the things you're not supposed to do. They'll take this pottery thing and they'll put different chemicals and, and paints and substances on it, and they will put it in a super high heat. And when they put in that super high heat, one of the things that happens is it transforms that piece of pottery into something that nobody knows what it's going to be. Even the person making it. They have no idea exactly what is going to come out. Now, they have some ideas of the colors, but how it really comes out, they have no clue. They have to wait until it comes out of the pottery uh, oven, and then they'll put it usually in like a garbage can full of like um, newspaper or other things, and they will put it in there and let that fire then cool down and it'll actually crack the outside of that pottery in all these different ways and shapes and it'll make something that's very beautiful. Guess what? God does the same thing in your life. You are going to have a whole bunch of cracks and dings and all these other things that if you talk to somebody who's a regular potter, they would say, oh, that's ugly. And God going, no, you don't understand how beautiful this really is. Because, see, we look on the outside, but we really can't see nothing. Sorry for the bad English. Kids, don't anybody here going to college, don't listen to me for that part. Have you ever thought what God thinks when he looks at you? Those eyes of love that have known you your entire life, that knows everything that you've gone through, that has sees in you and in your heart all these struggles, all these difficulties. And he sees what the world would perceive as flaws. And he goes, oh, you don't understand how precious this vessel is to me. You don't understand how beautiful this looks to me. In Isaiah 62, 3, it says, Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord. 
You ever thought of God thinking of you that way? A crown of glory. Besides this, we need to see some, a different kind of a hand. Several years ago, John Brody, a former quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, was used by his team to hold the football for field goals and extra points after the touchdown. A reporter once asked this million-dollar player like him, why would he have to do such a menial task? Brody said, well, if I don't hold it, it falls down. Some pretty good logic there. Turn over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're starting in verse 27. And in here it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Uh, one of the things if you don't understand about sheep in the Middle East is uh, a lot of times they'll bring them all into a combined pen. Why? So that they can all help each other watch them. And then when it's time to go, they just open up the gate. The shepherd calls for the sheep and they all the sheep know where they need to go. They immediately follow their master. Verse 28 says, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Verse 30, I and my father are one. So when you get saved, one of the things God does, he says, I'm taking you and I'm placing you into the hand of Jesus Christ. Have you thought about that? Then on top of that, I'm going to give you my Jeff's version of this is I think there's a reason why he tells you down here at the end of the verses. And it says, I, and my father, are one and that no man can pluck him out. Why? Because my father is greater than all. Why? Because the father puts his hand over the top. Who's going to get you out of there? See, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing that the devil can do. There's nothing that the world can do. You're held in the hand of Jesus Christ if you're saved. And then God the Father says, you know what, just to make sure I'm going to seal you until the day of redemption, I'm going to put my other hand over the top just to keep you safe. That does not mean that, like I talked before, there are things that are going to happen in your life. Some of those things are because of choices you make, and some of them are because God's putting you through some things. Why? To help you become more beautiful. God doesn't do trials and tribulations just because he's bored. He doesn't do them just because, well, you know what? I want to mess with Jeff this week. He goes, no, I'm the potter and I want to make you more beautiful. And I want you to understand in spite of all these things that are going on, I'm going to keep you safe. Psalm 139, please. Psalm 139, and we're going to start in verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I make, uh, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. 
one of the things that happens to Christians sometimes when some of these difficult situations are going on, they forget about the fact that God's holding them in their hand. They forget the fact about how much God loves them and cares for them. And sometimes that's a point for us as Christians as we can help them to remember the promises of God. We can help them remember the good times. We can help comfort them with the best of our ability. But no matter where we go and what we do, there's no place that you can go that God is not there. I don't care if you went to hell, God's there. Uh, you know, I'm not one of the, you know, there's, I've heard so many people say, you know, well, hell is being away from God. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's no place you can go that God is not there. That means no matter what you go through in your life, God is there. So it doesn't matter if the brothers in China here at an underground church meeting and he, the doors bust open and the Chinese police come in, he is just as safe as he could be anywhere in the United States of America. In fact, I would argue at this point, he is safer being there than he is here because he's where God wants him to be. Now, God's going to hold you no matter what your choices are. But wouldn't it be so much better to want to do it his way and find out how beautiful you really could become in his eyes? To be able to have him look at you when you go up to get and meet him for the first time and he can go, well done, now good and faithful servant. And let's just say it. None of us are really going to think we're going to be worthy of it because we're going to remember all the times that we failed. All the times that Lord said, hey, I'd like you to do this. And you go, I don't want to, Lord. All the times we've gone through difficulties and problems in our life, whether it be health or finances or other things, and, and we get our eyes off the Lord and we get our eyes on the circumstances. And then we feel like, God, where are you? We forget that he's, he's right there. He's not the problem. We are. Because what? We got our eyes off of him. I want you to think about Peter. He's out on the water. God said, come on. Jesus said, come on. Come on out in the middle of the storm. Okay, right now, that wouldn't be me. I would not be the one doing that. I'd be like, hey, I'll be, I'll, I'll stay here and watch. You go, brother. You, you go do what the Lord wants you to do. You just go, brother. Peter hops over to the side, gets in the water. The waves are crashing, the wind, the noise, the storm, all those things. And he's walking on water. When did the problem came? When he took his eyes off the Lord. When do we get in trouble? When we take our eyes off the Lord. But we have to remember that we're not the only one that takes our eyes off the Lord. Everybody else here. If we, if we were honest and had a little session after church today, we could sit down and talk about all the times in our life where our eyes came off the Lord. That's not important. The important part is then get them back. The important thing is, you know, I've walked away from the Lord in my heart, whether I'm coming to church or not. Cause let's just face it. You can show up in church. That doesn't mean your heart's right. You can show up in church and put on a suit and a tie and shave and just look magnificent. You could have had the facials and the, the toe job thing with the, you know, the fingers, the whole nine yards. God, and when you walk in, God's just looking at, I don't care about that. Where's your heart? Let me see your heart. So how's your heart with the Lord today? I've showed you many examples of how his hand is reaching out to you to guide, to save, to protect, to nurture, to strengthen. 
But how's your heart? Because that's your choice. See, his choice is already, he's already chosen you. He chose you before the foundation of the earth. He wants everybody to be saved. And you may get saved, but the thing is, that's not the end. See, this, this is the great thing about our God. No matter how much you read their Bible, you're going to get up to heaven and he's going to give you a Bible lesson, probably some from some grandma from the Ozarks, and she's going to teach Bible for all the rest of us and teach us all the stuff that we don't know. Or maybe God will just give us that mind and we'll understand it all. But we don't understand it all now. I don't understand it all now. But I can tell you this, there's not one person that's right here, either watching on the video camera or seated in a chair right now, that God does not have a purpose for. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You're not somebody without talent and skills. You're not somebody that God cannot use. He desires to use you to glorify his son. And he's given you some talents. He hasn't given somebody else. And see, we can be like the brother. Hey, I'm having to, you know, teach kids in a Christian school. I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. Right? How many of us would like, well, I know God wants me to do this and not be happy with where we're at. You know, God, if you call me the mission field, I'll go. Yeah, but are you doing what you're supposed to be doing right now? Because why is God going to call you to the mission field or call you to some great work when you're not faithful right here? You know, guess what? There's some jobs that have to happen. There's usually nurseries. I don't know about you, but I've never been to a church that has said, Thank you, sister, for volunteering for the nursery. We don't need you. I have never heard that in any church I've ever been in. But there's always things that need to happen and things that go on where God goes, show me that you can be faithful with little, and guess what? Then I can use you for much. God doesn't call you to the mission field. God may call you to support and do all sorts of other things. Not everybody can go to a foreign mission field like Thailand and be used of God there. Why? Because I don't know if you know this about the army and other things like that. There's a huge amount of people that have to do support to have the active combat troops. We need churches in America. We need churches in America that believe the book. We need churches in America to not just send missionaries, but keep them there because they're falling out left and right. There are a lot of churches that can in their history say, we have sent out all of these people to go and be pastors and missionaries elsewhere. And a lot of them are getting like, it's getting hard to find people to go anymore. Well, where's the examples in the church? Think of the young people growing up in this church. What are they seeing from you in your life? Are they seeing you and your heart reflecting what God's done in your life and you willing to do something for him? Or are they seeing you living your life for you? Because if you really want to impact somebody and what you have to show them is how God changed you and the what happens after that, it's great that you got saved, but for a lot of people, they weren't there when you got saved. What are they going to see the differences between who you were before and who you are now that you're saved? Or the differences between you went and you walked in the world and you made some of these choices, or maybe you're in the middle of it and you're in that fight of between the world and what God may want you to do and all those decisions are going on and people are watching you 
What's going to happen to the other people around you when they see you decide, you know what, Lord, I need to get my eyes back on you. I need to get back in church. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I need to sing the songs and praise you and lift you up. Because you don't know what the impact of you making the decision to live your life for Christ, what that's going to do. You ever looked at how many great people we honor and we lift up who are people and we have no knowledge or information about who led them to the Lord? That could be you. You living your life for the Lord might be the one factor that leads somebody else to give their life for the service of the Lord in the foreign country. You don't know. I I know this brother's testimony because I've heard it before. And it still is amazing to me that here he, he can have all these things happen in Florida, which you go, why would God do all of this? It doesn't make sense. But now after time goes on and, and the person tells you, oh, well, we need people in China, but they have to have a knowledge of education. Um, we, and they need to know some medical stuff and they need to know computers. Do you think that was an accident that he went through all of those things? No, that was a trial of faith for him to learn the things that he needed so God could really use him. And I'm not saying that God couldn't have used him before because I'm sure God did a lot of great things with him besides that. But to make him the most beautiful creature that in God's eyes, he needed that heart first, just like he needs yours. Because see, once God's got your heart, the rest of it will all take care of itself. God does not care whether you dress up like some independent, fundamental Baptist and you always look perfect when you go to church. God just wants to see, do you got a good heart? Do you got a heart that loves me? Do you got a heart that goes, here am I, Lord, use me, like Isaiah? Can you remember the last time God talked to you and asked you to do something? How long has it been? How long has it been that maybe instead of God asking, you went to God and said, Lord, here am I, send me. And maybe that's just downstairs to the nursery. Uh, maybe that's just to take some Bible classes. Maybe that's to go to Pastor Ken and say, Pastor Ken, I think God maybe wants to use me for something. Can you teach me? Help me. Uh, maybe that's going to somebody else and saying, hey, that you know is a good Christian brother or sister and saying, hey, I haven't been doing things exactly the way God wants me to do. Could you pray for me? I'm not going to get into all the details. Could you just pray for me and help me to have that heart that God could use and not just the heart that God could use that I'd follow through and do it. See, it's, it's very easy for me to get up here and talk about all this stuff. Why? Because I'm asking you to make a choice. Right? Have you ever thought about the pastor that has to read through a message and he's, he's working it up, that he's got to be convicted in his own heart of what's going on? Or the times you're going to get down and you're going to preach on some kind of sin and you know there's somebody in your church that's dealing with this issue and God says, I don't care, you need to preach this anyways. Yeah, but God, they might get upset with me and they may leave the church because I'm doing this. Who are you going to listen to? Where's your heart, pastor? Where's your heart, Sunday school teacher? When you got up this morning and you were going to come and you're going to teach a Sunday school, where's your heart, Sunday school teacher? Is your heart there for those kids? 
Or are you just doing it because, well, you know, that's the right thing to do. And it is the right thing to do. But are you doing it for the right reasons? It makes a difference. God wants to use you, but it has to be because he uses you, not because it's you using you. Look at all the people that have great voices and they're out there making all this money with Hollywood. And then guess what? God's and they're saved. It's got to, God's going to show them later on. You know what? You know what I could have done with you if you would have used your talents and gifts for me instead of yourself? Because there's some times in your life you're going to need some good, godly music to listen to you, to inspire you, to strengthen you, to help you when you're down. Who's singing those songs? Who's singing the songs that glory and lift up the Lord? Well, where's your heart at? If your heart's in the right place, those songs are going to come out. If your heart's in the right place, you're going to be asked in the pastor and the other people of this church of, hey, how can I help? Hey, I've got no talents whatsoever. Well, that's what you think. God goes, I know you. I've got some gifts and talents for you. The thing is, you have to be willing to play my game, not yours. And that, and guess what? God doesn't care if you've messed up and made a lot of mistakes. God doesn't care if you totally made a shipwreck out of your life. God says, I still want to use you. And, and maybe there was something glorious that he had for you and God goes, sorry. This one's not for you anymore, but I have something else for you. But it's never because God does not have a purpose for you in your life. That doesn't exist. God knows who you are. God knows who you're capable of. He's just waiting for your heart. So let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, you know the hearts and minds of everyone here, Lord. And you know, Lord, that I'm not worthy to preach your book. I'm not worthy to stand in front of these people and try to, you know, just browbeat them or show the world's logic, Lord. I failed you more times than I've ever succeeded. Lord, I'm ashamed of the number of times that I've failed you. And, but you know my heart, Lord. I'm just trying to be here and be a blessing to these people here. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts right now, today, Lord, and let them know what your will for their lives are, Lord. Let them to see and to really look at their own hearts and say, Lord, Am I doing these things because I love you and I want to serve you? Or am I doing them because, well, it's the right thing to do? Lord, am I really coming to you and asking you, Lord, please show me how I can be used? Lord, just point me in the direction. And Lord, as we saw with the brother's testimony, Lord, sometimes when you point us in a direction, we're like, I don't see how this can be the right direction. But you know all things. You know what's best for us. You know how to get the most out of us. You know what you created us to be and how you wanted to use us. And I pray for each person here today, Lord, that they would make the choice, the commitment, Lord, to turn their hearts over to you and say, yes, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, Lord, help me to see it, help me to understand it, and give me the strength to step through that door and to do your will in my life. Lord, there's many people here, Lord, that maybe it's been a long time since I talked to you. And I just ask, Lord, that if you're here today 
and you can't remember the last time you and the Lord had a serious talk and you went to the Lord and said, please, Lord, use me. I ask you today, please come forward. Please come to the altar. Please show the Lord you mean business. Please let him see your heart so that he can turn around and say, child, I have something glorious I want you to do. And and you're not going to see how beautiful you are until much later. But trust me, I know what's best for you. Lord, there's people here that I'm sure are hurting hurting in, in their hearts because of circumstances, because of health, because of other things. Lord, please minister them, comfort them, strengthen them in a way only you can. And lift up their hearts, Lord, so they can glory in who you are and give you all the praise and the glory. And we ask this all through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.